This week's guest is Jonathan Matier, who joins us from St. Augustine, Florida. John is currently the beverage manager at TPC Sawgrass with the PGA Tour. John has worked in numerous bars and restaurants across the country over the last decade plus, and he places a major focus on craft cocktails. John has also been selected as a top 100 bartender in the United States by Diageo World Class in 2022 and 2023, and he also claimed the title of U.S. National Champion of the Giffard West Cup and traveled to France to compete in the finals. In his spare time, John hosts a podcast called Bard Tenders that has a focus on the hospitality industry. Bard Tenders, that is B-A-R-D-T-E-N-D-E-R-S, is very unique as the hosts incorporate playing Dungeons and Dragons and mix in interviews, education, and antidotes on the hospitality industry during their show. Make sure you check out Bard Tenders wherever you get your podcasts or check out the show notes for the links. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. How is it going? I'm doing all right. Doing all right, thanks. And how about you? How are things going with you? Doing good. Doing good. Seems like we've been haven't recorded in a while. So apologies to our listeners because we've had some uh, issues with travel. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we've had some flakeouts. <laughs> yeah. All the things that uh, cause us to not record, but yeah. we are back. So. Yeah. yeah. Back and alive. Yeah. Somehow. Somehow, uh, so yeah, great to be great to be recording again. Um, uh, you you got COVID, now you're over it, so you feel better. Uh, more or less, feel a lot better now than it was about a week mm-hmm. ago. That's for sure. Nice. Jesus, and you got it in Colorado. Yeah, thanks, America. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, uh, I actually might have caught it from my boss, who is from Europe. Yeah. So while uh, he was in Colorado. So fuck them too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah. So since we've last recorded, you've been to Colorado. Yeah. Oh. Picked up the bar scene. Yeah. I went to, uh, yeah, I actually, yeah, I was in Denver for a couple of days. They were Boulder for a bunch. Um, so while in Denver for a couple of days, I went to that River North District um, and that was a lot of fun. Oh. Yeah. I, I tried to drink all the beer in Colorado, and I think I may have succeeded on the Friday. Good job. Yeah, there's nothing left. The entire state was dry after I was done. It was a great time. Just all these small breweries and distilleries that just kind of popped from one to the other, drinking as much as I could. Um, that was a good time. And then Saturday, did the cocktail tour. So I started off with Death & Co. Nice. Which was That's terrific. Good tie into our guest who's going to be joining us shortly. Yeah, so that, that was awesome. I got a great, it was, it was packed, but since I was by myself, I came in, they they said, oh, we got a seat just for you. So I got the corner seat at the bar. So I got to see everything going on behind the bar and yeah, all the guests. So it was super cool. I had a lot of cocktails while I was there. Nice. Yeah. I don't know how I walked out of there, but I did. And then continued on my uh, more cocktails, more wine bar tour of Denver. That was fun. All right. Well, sounds like a good time, except for the COVID. Yeah. That, uh, that part's up. That part's up. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, it ties into our guest today. John's Matier is going to be joining us in just a minute or so. He also worked at Death & Co. in Denver, so that's exciting. I think he was uh, actually helped open it. Oh, nice. um, so we'll bring him in shortly. Before we get to him, we should mention that if you like what we're doing here on the show, you should subscribe, rate, and review. It helps out tremendously. Zach Hanna at ZachHanna.co does the artwork for the Instagram. And uh, check out all his work uh, if, if you have any graphic arts needs. And then uh, if you're in the Kitchener Waterloo area, come check out one of my bars. There's Sugar Run downtown Kitchener. That's at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram to find out all the things that are going on there. 
at Babylon Sisters Bar to find out what's going on at Babylon Sisters in Uptown Waterloo, and at Argyle underscore arms underscore 2023 to find out what's going on at the Argyle Arms in Cambridge, Ontario. We have trivia nights, we have music bingo, we have live music, always something going on every night at the, at that bar. And yeah, I guess that's about it. Eh? Should we just get right to our guest? Yep, we should. Jonathan Matier, thanks for joining us on the Industry Podcast. How are you? Hey, doing really well. Enjoying a nice, nice. rainy uh, Monday here in Florida. Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we were talking briefly before you we started recording. You are coming to us. It was sorry, what part of Florida? Uh, St. Augustine, so Saint just Augustine. south of Jacksonville. So south of, south of Jacksonville. And you are sort of based out of TPC Sawgrass, but you are the beverage director for the PGA Tour and all the Florida events. Yeah, right? I uh, run some golf tournaments. The big one's the players. It's the you know the fifth unofficial, you know, largest tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. But we have you know 60,000 people that come in for the weekend and have a great time. That's crazy. So talk to me about the organization that goes behind something like that. Like, and when you say you're a beverage director, are there like feature cocktails for the tournament? Like, what are we talking about? Absolutely. So uh, as far as the golf course goes, we have two golf courses, two 18 hole golf courses. So we have activations spread out across the entire golf course. So there is way more than just myself that's involved with any of those things. You could couldn't do that by yourself. You'd be crazy. Uh, So there's a full support team beverage staff uh, that comes with the entire uh, TPC network. Mm. which is really great. Uh, for me specifically, though, uh, we have a VIP area, which we call like the goat lounge because there used to be goats that were the original greenskeepers of the golf course. <laughs> <All right. laughs> obviously, that doesn't work out when goats jump on golf bar, like, on top of golf carts and they're messing up your strokes and everything. So they got rid of those, but we pay homage to them. So I run nice. the VIP area called the goat lounge where we have eight different bars. Uh, we do a VIP experience. I mean, last year we flew in a 500 pound tuna off the coast of Spain the day before we're doing like Iberico pig shaved right there for everything. Uh, but as far as cocktails go, they take the handcuffs off. We get to get as crazy as we want. I think yeah. this year, a little sneak peek, we're doing like fried chicken infused whiskey is like a Nashville hot chicken sour <laughs> like, in oh, like little wow. ramen, little ramen cups and like going to town. So we have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, let's start here. You all, you, you do you handle all of the golf tournaments for the PGA that happen in Florida? So I travel to a couple of the different yeah. ones, but but my main focus is working the players, the, the, players. the large tournament here. And it's the one that okay. pretty much kicks off like majority of the, the PGA tour season. Right. So that's crazy. It's, um, I can't even imagine how much work goes into organizing that whole event. But give us a little bit that maybe of your like a like what's going on, say, for you on the Thursday of the tournament? <laughs> so that is like we are in the thick of it. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, whenever you start running like this large tournament, uh, it happens every March. Uh, my meetings start planning uh, at the end of April uh, for the following year because you have to have an incredible run time to set up something like that. That's so right. massive. Uh, but by Thursday, uh, we've already brought in all of our temp staff, which is around like 200 to 250 people that are helping out from the kitchen to the bars to serving. Uh, it's helping guests in and out of their cars all the way through it. By Thursday, we've done friends and family uh, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are the practice rounds. The players start showing up. They're out there on the course. Um, by Thursday, we are rocking and rolling at five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> getting ready. Mm. We have breakfast ready for all the players and their families. Uh, and then the guests start showing up at seven and we are nonstop until 30 minutes after last putt. That's crazy. That's, it must be such a long day. Like what's your average, uh, say, I would say like at the be like during the actual days of the tournament, what, what, how many hours are you working? Uh, I usually show up around 
like 4.30 in the morning to start getting ready for the day uh, are like beginning prep people or they're probably at like 2.30 in the morning, you know, because they have to start with cooking and everything. Uh, but I get there around 4.30 and I usually leave around like 9 or 10 p.m. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> Long days. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, it's worth it. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And like, so when you say that the gloves are off, basically, you can pretty much do whatever you want cocktail wise. Um, how do you try and come up with your concepts for a co- uh, for cocktails for a golf tournament? Like, do you have a specific themes in mind when you start out? I, obviously, you have about a year to plan. So <laughs> yeah, you have plenty of time. Yeah. I travel uh, as much as I can. I go to Events like Tales of the Cocktail and Barcon in Brooklyn or uh, events like Camp Runamuck in Kentucky, where I meet with other bartenders from all over the world and mm. we just pick each other's brains. I mean, that's what we do. We sit down, we talk, we have a drink and you're like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, you're putting, you know, gin sours and little mini bathtubs. That kind of sounds fun. Let's do that in Florida. Right. So you start picking the brains of other people because other people essentially pave the way for you. You don't have to do it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where inspiration comes from. Yeah. That's crazy. So how did you get like, how did you get this gig? Let's back up a little bit in your <laughs> career. Like, it's because it's it seems like uh, it was cool to get to talk to you because like, we've talked to people from all over the world doing different kind of gigs, but I've never and we talked, I think the closest and then we talked to uh, the guy who ran Wrigley Fields cocktail program. Oh, yeah. yeah, Hugo Gambino, I believe. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. So that's like kind of the the closest one in proximity to sort of what you're doing there. But I'm just sort of interested how you get into that job. Like I know you started in Denver or Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been bartending for about 13 years now. Uh, I've kind of run the whole gambit from working in private little clubs like Elks Lodges and VFWs or American Foreign Legion type things. Started there, uh, worked my way into college bars, do some high volume bartending. uh, And then I found cocktails and kind of fell in love with the creative freedom and the process. Uh, Made my way to Death & Co. Uh, We can tell that story later. It's a good one. (laughs) But uh, basically COVID kind of hit and shook everything up. You took the beehive of bartenders and we all went different places. Uh, but my wife and I decided we wanted to be closer to family. So we moved to Florida. Her family's about an hour and a half away. Uh, we love St. Augustine. We used to, you know, vacation there. And we're like, if we're going to move, let's, let's go somewhere we love. So we're mm. here. And I just kind of fell into a couple local bars, but they weren't really a hundred percent the right fit. They're awesome locations, but it wasn't right for me. So I was getting up every single morning at like 7 a.m. And I was like, let's look for jobs. What can we do? Who's out yeah, there? Yeah. And I saw them post the job for the TPC Sawgrass beverage manager. And I was like, let's do it. Let's see what happens. And yeah. I, got, I got a phone call like half an hour later. And they're like, hey, you coming for an interview? I was like, let's do it. <laughs> let's absolutely uh, do it. Holy so smokes. interviewed with them, just right place, right time. Uh, amazing people, great personalities, you know, like great work culture. I, I love it. That's crazy. I love hearing those stories too, because you feel like that would be an impossible fucking job to get. Now, obviously you had a pretty good resume, but like, <laughs> but just the fact that you just moved down there and like after however much time you're next thing you're doing, you're the beverage director for the TPC Sawgrass. That's incredible. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, thankful. I mean, a lot of terrible things happened with COVID, but a lot of great things happened too. And it opened up so many doors for so many different people, especially in the hospitality world. You know, and like I said, right place, right time, you know, a bunch of people left, they moved on, they retired, and all of a sudden there's an opening. Yeah, it's interesting because um, uh, we've talked to obviously so many people throughout the, like this podcast basically started, what, at the beginning of COVID, right? Yeah, at the beginning of the much. pandemic, like I'm very close to when the first lockdown started happening. And just seeing, talking to so many people 
people in the service industry and how their lives changed during the, the last couple of years. And so many stories about like pivoting to doing online stores or, or becoming Instagram bartenders or whatever. But uh, the other side of this is sometimes people just fucking get up and move. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Denver is really expensive. I know you were just there. You were hanging out in Denver. <laughs> that is not a cheap city to live in. And COVID was not friendly to the industry. So, uh, you know, we, we packed it up and we moved. Yeah. yeah. Judging by the amount of homeless I saw there. Yeah. I can totally see that. Just, <laughs> yeah. That was something you know, else. The city just grows exponentially. There's, they're forcing them out. It's just, uh, it happens sometimes in growing cities. Yeah. yeah that's too bad. Uh, did you, okay. So, did you grow up in the Colorado area? No, uh, I grew up in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania called Indiana, PA. A okay. small little like division two college town, you know, maybe, maybe 10,000 people max. Yeah. Oh, wow. So talk to us a little bit about how you got into the service industry and then how you ended up in Denver. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, went to college, was a history major, uh, so very lucrative uh, college yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like many people that pursue the liberal arts, uh, I decided that I didn't have any career plans and I didn't know what I was going to do. But mm-hmm. I went to college and I knew how to drink and I knew how to have fun with friends. Yeah. Let's bartend. Let's bartend for a year. Let's see what happens. This sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does familiar. I feel like there's a lot of people out there. <laughs> oh. uh, so I started bartending at like a bowling alley. Um where I had to like manually reset the pins every day. <laughs> like, oh, really? <laughs> Never again, but I learned a lot. Um, but, you know, all that while I started applying to like graduate school, uh, going to law school, it was kind of the goal after a history major uh, and got into the University of Florida and packed everything I owned and moved down to Gainesville, Florida and got through two, three years of school and decided, I don't like this at all. Why, why am I doing this? And I was working at a cocktail bar uh, and I was like, you know what? Let's just make a run. Like, let's just let's go for it. Let's see what happens. Uh, and pretty much have fallen in love with the industry ever since. Mm. And so how do you get to Denver? Yeah, so mm. uh, I'm working uh, at this uh, college bar uh, in Gainesville, Florida. Good place to be right across from the football stadium. Massive, massive restaurant. Got a lot of experience there. Um, but I saw Death & Co was hiring and I was like, I've read the book. It was the first cocktail book I ever read. Sure, I was yeah. like, the worst they can say is no. And the answer is always no, unless you ask. Right. <laughs> so uh, I applied uh, and immediately got a rejection letter. They're like, absolutely not. We're only hiring local. And I said, okay, well, I know somebody who lives in Colorado. Let's steal their address. So <laughs> I steal, steal my visa address, submit the exact same application and resume, uh, get a call. And they're like, hey, can you come out and interview tomorrow? Uh, where we have like two positions left in the building. And I was like, cool, I'm in. So uh, I got on a plane, and flew to Denver, Colorado, and interviewed the next day. Uh, the only position I had at the time was a food runner position. And I said, sure, let's do it. <laughs> See what happens. They're like, can you start in a month? And I was like, absolutely. So my, <laughs> my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, we packed up everything we had and we moved uh, to Denver, Colorado and started working for Death & Co. What the fuck? And so your girlfriend was totally willing to to take this jump with you? Like, that's crazy. Uh, And she ended up getting the other job that they had uh, as as a hostess. Oh, okay. We both both ended up working for them and got the last two positions they had for the the opening of Death & Co. Denver. That's crazy. That is a crazy story. So I, I'm t- I'm actually kind of curious as why do they give a fuck if you're local? Like if you're willing to commute, what do they care? Or like if you're willing to move, what do they care? So I, yeah. 
I understand the tactic. Uh, yeah. They had opened their first spot, you know, 10 years prior in New York City. Mm-hmm. This is their first time that they're putting another brick and mortar, you know, death code location. Uh, and they want to make sure that, you know, they're doing it right. They're paying, you know, the correct homage to the local industry and bringing in people that are one talented, but do already have connections in the town. You don't already have to build your clientele. You don't have to build regulars. You don't have to build as much trust because you have the people that are there already with their feet on the ground. Right. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. At least you have people who who have friends that they that will come and visit them or whatever. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. So that's still a pretty big leap for you guys. I mean, whatever. If you were done with school, you're done with the school. But like to move across the country to take a food runner and a hostess job. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. It's a leap of faith, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it works out. I could have fallen flat on my face at any point. But yeah, like was it hard to find? <laughs> we got there. Yeah, was it hard to find somewhere to live? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We crashed on our friend's couch for like a week or two. Found a spot. Uh, it was in our price range, probably, you know, like thirty minutes from working in the River North District. It wasn't too bad. Had our cars, so it uh, really wasn't uh, that awful. Yeah, having the cars makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. So, okay. So you get this job food running and uh, like, that's obviously not paying a massive uh, stipend. (laughs) Neither is hostessing. So you guys are getting by and, but like you stick with it. At what point do you like, what, what was the process of you moving up? Like, did you have to do a number of jobs there? So within like the first month or two, uh, they provided us all with roadmaps of like, how do you move yourself up within the company? How do you get to the next step? Uh, it's a self-guided process with books, movies, cocktail classes, everything along the way that you would expect from a world-class bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, this usually takes people like a year to do. And I was like, okay, well, I'm fresh out of grad school. I'm going to complete it in, in like a couple of weeks. <laughs> so yeah. I, I finished their bartender roadmap in like three or four weeks. And they're like, well, we don't know what to do with you. So we're going to make yeah. you a bar back now. And so I moved up into bar backing. Uh, within like a month or two of them opening. Uh, and from there, it was like another month or two. And then I actually started bartending with them. Cool. So it really was a very fast transition. But that happens when you open restaurants. There's always turnover. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what the restaurant is. The opportunity exists. Right. Uh, and for my wife, uh, she went from hostess to lead hostess within a week or two. Uh, and then they actually promoted her to the events manager. So she started running their events programs as well. Mm. That's crazy. Well, that's a great success story because that could have gone really bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sure could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could have been yeah. pitching a tent on Broadway down there. Like, like, uh, all the shelters I walked by. Yep. That's crazy. So uh, so we interviewed Alex Jump, um, who yeah, love uh, Alex. Was, yeah, was one of the women who opened that place. Um, so you worked under her at the beginning? Absolutely. Yeah. She was... Uh, she was lead bartender for a little bit, and then they promoted her to full-on bar manager. And she was she was bar mom. She taught us so yeah. much. You know, she guided us through the entire process. Absolutely love everything she did then, and love what she's doing now with the industry too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great lady. Uh, so uh, you also um, did you start entering competitions at some point? I know you uh, received awards like it was one of Diageo's top bartenders. Is that accurate? Yep. Uh, yeah. I've been doing competitions off and on over the last decade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like a bunch of local ones when I was in Florida. And then, you know, as you keep doing it, you know, you kind of naturally move out of local competitions because you want other people to have those opportunities. And you start doing some of the national ones. Um, I was very fortunate uh, last year to uh, be the U.S. champion for the Gaffard West Cup. So I got to fly to France to compete out there. It was really neat. And the last two years, I uh, was very lucky to be top 100 for Diageo World Class as well. 
That's crazy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very impressive. Congratulations. Right. So, Thank you. Yeah. I learned from a lot of good people, though. Like, you know, I was very fortunate that I didn't fall flat on my face. And I got <laughs> to be around all those amazing people, you know, in, in Denver that taught me a lot. What's your favorite competition that you've entered? Uh, ooh. Uh, <laughs> so there was uh, one competition that was a local one where you had to team up with another bartender and do a roller skate bartending, like, dance competition. What? <laughs> it was like so you it was like so you think you can skate. And yeah. uh, <laughs> uh me and my buddy dressed up in the Blades of Glory uh matching oh, nice. uh nice. ice skating ones with uh, Will Ferrell <laughs> and we did a whole like cocktail competition like that. <laughs> Just goofy. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not having fun, why are you doing it? <laughs> exactly. You're not having fun. <laughs> it's good that people are still coming up with ideas like that though, too, because really after a while all the competitions can get kind of the sort of like they're all the same right like you make it yeah 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 like so in some of these competitions are you doing the speed element as well or is it mostly just crafting cocktails depends um yeah. i've done i did some of the speed ones when i was younger before my yeah. body started to say yeah, please that's stop. Fuck it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my shoulders and my knees are like please yeah. please stop bartending like that yeah, yeah. um so now I, I look for the ones that trigger my creativity. I look for competitions that allow me to do things that I haven't done in the past, uh, whether it's try new techniques, use new ingredients, or thinking outside the box with the way I present cocktails, guess. Because that's mm. that's more enjoyable you know, for me, like hitting that creative button in my brain and having a good time. Do you think that these competitions are always going to have a place? Or are we going to get to the point where they've kind of like it's how much more can one do? You know what I mean? As like, long as long as the brand wants to pay bartenders money to advertise the brand for them, right. they will exist. Mm. As soon as that culture shifts and they find another way to, you know, do a creative outlet, then it'll change. But until that point, bartenders are still the ones that are selling your booze and slinging it and recommending it to guests. So might as well true. invest in them along the way. And do you feel like we're like, are we getting near the end of what one can do with a cocktail anymore? Uh, this is something that I think we talk about a lot, like having yeah. traveled and gone to these conferences and like, you know, you've seen a really big push the last couple years to be like culinary driven, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look at uh, double chicken, please in New York. They're doing awesome stuff with food cocktails. Mm. Love that. Um, but being, being culinary driven is where we're at now. Being sustainable is definitely trending too. Uh, but I think the next really big push isn't so much what we can put in the cocktail glass. It's how we can make the guests feel and how we can create an experience for them that's meaningful. Getting back to actually the, the roots of hospitality. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it, it, there was a... It's funny how this ship comes full circle though, right? Because when the sort of apex of craft cocktailing was um or the craft cocktailing was at its apex and we got into like the bartending stars sort of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, star tenders, exactly. <laughs> uh, then it was like, it became less about the hospitality and more about like, come watch me work, right? Um, so it is good that we're coming, like, I think it does come full circle. Because at the end of the day, there was a stretch where guests would be down for that being like, oh, I just want to go to the trendy spot where the awesome bartender is bartending and get one of their drinks and bask in their glory. And now it's like, well, I think most people are back to like, where can I get a good cocktail at a reasonable price? Yeah, and most bars can make an old fashioned. They, yeah. they can make a daiquiri. They can make a mojito. It's not. It's not like ten years ago where like there was only like one bar in town that could make really good drink. No, just I not think there anymore. You know what I think that actually has happened is that 
um, this whole like sort of full circle that we're discussing here is like has sort of pushed the industry into an area where you really can't have a bar at all unless you know how to make the classics. Whereas before, if you had like a dive bar or a bowling alley or whatever the fuck, you could just like crack beers and whatever. But I don't think that I'm at least in my experience and here in Ontario, that space doesn't exist anymore. Like I just opened time I, right place. You yeah. know, like it, dive bars exist and I love a good dive bar. Yeah, but they, they got to have the classics too. Like they got to know how to like people go to a dive bar. They still expect to be able to get an old fashioned. Now, I think it, de- yeah. I think it depends. Like having lived in Gainesville where it was like a big college football town, mm. the dive bars there, they're making vodka sodas and they're yeah. doing Red Bull vodkas and they're cracking beers and they're doing just fine. Yeah. But I do think as a whole, few and far between compared to where we used to be. Right. Like I just opened an Irish pub in Cambridge, which Cambridge is kind of like the, like, uh, I don't know, the armpit of uh, our area. Um, you're, and, you're being too generous. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we're just going to be pouring pints and making vodka sodas. Right. Like, so I wasn't too worried about the cocktail program for it. And people were asking, well, like, before we knew it, people were asking for like nicer wine and um, like an old fashioned and whatever. And I was like, it kind of caught me off guard, but my other bars are more geared towards that. Like this, it's certainly the, certainly what I prefer more in a bar that I own, but like, I, I was kind of caught off guard by the fact that like even opening, like what I thought was just going to be a classic Scottish pub, people wanted cocktails. COVID did that too, though. You know, yeah. you had people for the first time, you know, making drinks at home. They found out that it was cheaper. So, you know, like that's sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, secrets out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they found out that. But, you know, you had bartenders teaching classes to people at home from all over the world. You had a higher level of education and an easy way to consume it on your phone or on your laptop. So right. people were going to ask for things because they might not have known about it three years ago, but they sure do now. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's it's. I find the sort of evolution of the industry so fascinating, which is probably why we do a show like this and you do a show like yours. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, talk yeah, about why you decided to start your own podcast. Yeah, of course. So much like you guys uh, kind of grew out of COVID, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's connecting with people being there. You know, bartenders, we're social creatures. We love hanging out with people. We love hanging out with our friends. And we we lost that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, my friends and I that do our podcast together, uh, we would have a weekly game night and we'd hang out, we'd play board games, we have some beers, have some drinks, you know, whatever else happens, happens. Uh, yeah. But we lost that and we wanted to find a way to bring it together. Uh, and we know that bartenders were pretty nerdy. Uh, <laughs> even if you're not nerdy about, you know, playing board games or playing other games or video games, you're going to be nerdy about something. It's some sort of book, some sort of TV show, something that's out there. And we thought, okay, how do we combine the things that we love with bartending? So we put together all those ideas. We sat down. uh, We had a bottle of Midwinter's Night Dram that we crushed in a night. And we started writing down notes, like, seriously, like, how do we do this? And we were playing uh, D&D at the time, Dungeons Mm -hmm. & Dragons, uh, which is incredibly and increasingly more popular uh, as we continue to move on here. Nerd culture is real. It's great. Uh, but someone made the joke, uh, oh, what if we're all bard tenders? Because bards are somebody, that, a class that you can play in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And I write that down. I circle it a whole bunch, go to bed and wake up the next morning. And I'm like, I think we can do this. I think we yeah. can make this happen. So I kind of ran with it. 
uh, developed, you know, a lot of the content. Uh, we brought people in to do interviews the same way that you guys are. Uh, and we alternate those interviews with actually playing D&D in between. So every other week, we alternate between playing Dungeons and Dragons as bartenders in a fantasy world, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and then the other ones, we interview people about mental health, physical health, uh, their cocktail bars that they have everywhere. Literally anything, you name it, we'll talk about it. Hmm. Great. And so how many episodes in are you? Uh, we just recorded episode like 84, I think today. Uh, but as far as like the D and D side, we're at episode 33 and the rest have all been, uh, interviews of bartenders. Right. Uh, so how do you go, about, how do you go about finding guests? Uh, so, uh, it's a lot of my friends, uh, that I yeah. trap uh, and yeah. say, Hey, what are you doing uh, next week? <laughs> so that's really easy. Yeah. Um, outside of that, we've, uh, we've been doing this for about two ish, two plus years now. And we finally have just got to the point now where people are starting to reach out to us to be on the show. Yeah, that's that's so what it's, happened it's to it's us as well. It. Yeah, it, it took a while though. Like, for, it, and the same with us. It started with interviewing our friends in the region, um, and then slowly but surely we got. Uh, I I would reach out to people more internationally, and then um, eventually we people started reaching out to us about it. So it was great. You know, it's, it's great when they, they book themselves. <laughs> uh, I mean, what are bartenders good at? Networking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a real so. thing. You sit at my bar. I'm going to tell you the best other places to go in town, the restaurants, the shows, the museums, everything. It's the same thing with podcasts. We all help each other out. Did you Have you run into the same issues that we have with uh, bartenders flaking out on you at the last second? Uh, no, uh, but we're kind of used to it. I don't know if you guys have ever played Dungeons and Dragons, but usually someone always calls out. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we're, we're kind of ready for it. And we usually record like three or four months in advance uh, because right. we know that something's going to happen and someone's got to pick up a shift. Someone's going to have to go yeah. put out a fire somewhere. It's just the way we, it works. Well, we work in a flaky industry, right? Like there's a, yeah. flakes are attracted to the service industry. So I always uh, I'm not that ever, ever that surprised. Dan got a bit of an eye opener when we started doing the show about like how, how many people will flake out on you at the last second. But yeah, just classic. No oh, show. I thought that was tomorrow. Or yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I did have my phone on me. Sorry, I couldn't let you guys know I was going to be around. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm like yeah. Well, this is what I go through every day with my employees. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, doesn't yeah. change. Yeah. Okay, so like working for the golf course. Um, Obviously, you're in Florida, so probably can golf year round there, or for the most part. It, of course, it's open all year. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, we close for one month because it just gets way too hot, and we need to reseed the golf course. That way, we can uh, change, for, get ready for temperature changes. Oh, so we're yeah, not so, scorching everything out there. Yeah. What, what month is that? Like July or August or June? June. Is the oh, June's thing. the hottest. Oh wow. Um, yep. So. It's the exact opposite from us, whereas we close for four months because there's snow. But (laughs) (laughs) so so you actually so that's what's kind of interesting to us, because like, well, I mean, it's longer than four months that the golf courses are closed here. So anyone who works at a golf course in Ontario, it's like not a year round job. Right. So uh, but for you, you have a year round position there. And so when the, the tournaments aren't happening, you are also developing the core, the like a cocktail program for the course in general. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're very lucky to have two golf courses. So when one closes down, the other one's open. So we do go all year round with having availability to golf, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as cocktail menus go, 
Uh, I think golf courses are at a really, really interesting point uh, as far as food and beverage scene goes, the same way that hotels were, you know, six, seven years ago, people were finding hotel lobbies as like this place to connect that, you know, used to be a thing of the past, but has come alive again. Uh, Golf courses got revived by COVID too. People realized that they could social distance, they could play golf. So all of a sudden you have the influx of money that didn't really exist or was dying uh, for the most part. And now people are here to play. Uh, so we have the opportunity to really reinvent the the food and beverage scene in a lot of country clubs uh, that are rapidly catching up to modern times. Uh, and that's kind of why I'm very excited to work with the PGA Tour, especially at TPC Sawgrass. You know, we do seasonal menus. Um, I mean, when I did my first menu like two years ago, an egg white cocktail was mind-blowing now we're to the point where we're infusing stuff or fat washing and the guests are ready for it which is really really cool to see that transition over a two-year period yeah it's i find it interesting because like to me you come off 18 holes of golf in florida you're probably sweating and hot and like to me it's like a fat wash cocktail is not what i'm looking for at that point but like you're finding that the program works still it works. Absolutely. Okay. It works. And you know, my, my drinks program that's like out on the golf course, we call it the on course program with the golf carts. That's still your, your classic, you know, transfusions, your vodka, grapefruit, ginger drink, you know, it's light, it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our own uh, beers that we've worked with local breweries. So we're putting on our own beers on golf carts. So people get the full experience there. Uh, but inside the restaurant where we do a more fine dining, sit down, you know, your country club steak dinners and things like that. That's where the cocktail menu really comes to play. Right. Most people, when they come off the golf course, they're still looking for, you know, like their Bloody Mary. Absolutely. Uh, maybe they're celebrating. So they're doing a whole bunch of whiskey or maybe they're doing tequila shots because they had a bachelor party because it's a destination. You know, it's a, right. it's a top 10 golf course in the world. So people are celebrating. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things that come into play when designing a menu at a place like that. And how many dining rooms do you have? So our building is 80,000 square feet. Uh, oh. It is enormous. Uh, we could great. probably run like two 500 person weddings and they would never see each other. So That's it's crazy. <laughs> it's really, it's really cool. Um, but we have, you know, 10 different event spaces, uh, but we have one main, one main bar downstairs and we have a whole bunch of mobile bars and activations that we use. Uh, our main restaurant is three dining rooms with an additional area for members only. That's kind of like a golf pub attached to the locker room. And how many employees are you personally overseeing then? That's got to be a ton. Depends on like what's going on. Like whenever players, uh, the big golf tournament's happening, exponentially more, right? Because we bring in hospitality college students from all over the country. Uh, Whenever it's just, you know, like a a Monday during the season, I have seven bartenders that work for me. Oh, that's that's it. it. Really? That's it. Yep. We run. Uh, We have some really awesome people, uh, people that I've worked with over the last, you know, decade plus. Really talented individuals. uh, it's really great uh, when you offer healthcare and benefits and all of the above, you attract some really awesome people that want to stick around and be career, you know, bartenders and career servers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we do banquets, staff goes anywhere from 10 to 50. Right. Hmm. And so when you're the beverage director for the whole course, you're obviously selecting um, the beer, the wine for the program as well. So I'm doing all the beer and I'm doing all the liquor and the cocktails. Uh, very fortunate to have an awesome counterpart who does the wine program. Uh, we have right now, it's just under like 20,000 bottles in our wine cellar. We just got our second glass with Wine Spectator, which is really great. Uh, so we have a fantastic wine program with red and white wine cellars. 
That sounds awesome. I fucking hate golfing, but I feel like I want to come and visit your uh, yeah. course <laughs> just because the dining experience sounds awesome. So. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really love yeah. it. Yeah. Do you golf at all? Poorly. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but you, you get to play the course like whenever you I want do. or yeah. Oh, uh, cool. Not so much whenever I want. I can book pretty far in advance. So if I have family members and friends coming to play, we can do that. Um, usually you can play very early in the morning uh, before you would work a shift or you wait until like the last round of tee times for the day after the majority of the golfers have gone through and you play a speed speed round of golf. (laughs) Well, it's it's daylight right now till like almost 8.30. Okay, so yeah. And how many members does the course have? Tons. We have tons because we have the various memberships from, you know, people that are just dining social members that come in and get discounts, you know, through being memberships all the way up to charter members who are our top tier, you know, player experience level. Uh, mm-hmm. They get the same treatment as the players on the course, but you're, you're talking hundreds. Hmm. So how does your, um, I, I guess I'm just, the only other real question I have for you is like, how, how do you separate the two jobs? Like you, you work for the golf course, but you also work for the PGA. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so how does that work? Like, so my my full time job is like my my bread and butter every day is working at the golf course, making sure the operations run smoothly. Uh, and then every once in a while, I get a phone call, and <laughs> it's the the national director, and he's like, "Hey, this is happening. Can can we get you out there, or can we have you design this, or can you help with you know architecture designs at another place?" And I get that phone call, and I say, "Absolutely, let's go." So I'm really just kind of on call in the bullpen till they're ready to take me out there. That's great though, man. What a cool job. So like you, um, you got the job at the golf course first and foremost. And then once you had the job at the course, that's when you get connected with the PGA as a organization. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the TPC courses are owned by the PGA tour. So there's uh, 32, 32 properties around the world uh, that are owned by the PGA tour or pay to fly the TC banner as well. Gotcha. All right. That's the part that I wasn't connecting and I'm not sure. We got there. We got there together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, it's a crazy, awesome job you got, John. That's awesome. Like, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, much success with the podcast. Uh, Tell our listeners what the podcast is called one more time. Yeah. So our podcast is called Bard Tenders. You can find us on social media at Bard Tenders. Uh, We're pretty much everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Uh, We love reviews. We love five-star ratings, and we love to hear your comments. So we continue to grow together. Uh, You can check out our website at www.bardtender.com. We have amazing sources for bar education, cocktail education, mental health, physical health, connect you with those resources to get you take care of inside the bar and outside the bar. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing the show. I think your job is super fascinating. And I think well, it's thanks. awesome that you have like a, this side gig doing the podcast because that obviously is close to our hearts as well. So <laughs> well, uh, thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for doing it. And uh, and uh, best of luck in everything. Thanks. Same to you guys. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll have you on our show soon. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Thanks very much. Right. Cheers. Cheers.